Welcome to Mad Tales. Welcome back to Mad Tales. I'm James Nolan. It's summer 2022 as I record this in my not really little studio in Fredericksburg, Virginia. Before we get started, don't forget that Mungwort is out right now in a variety of formats, including ebook, paperback, hardcover, and of course, audiobook. Can't wait until next week to get to the next chapter? Don't want to wait until September to get to the end? Order Mungwort today. And now, on to the next chapter of Mungwort. You just a little Velma Dinkley. Harlow was sitting on an apple box outside her yurt when she spied Cece and Ben coming in from the fields. What are those two about? Trying to pull overtime to look good to Warner or Mueller? Fat chance. Warner didn't care whether they worked one minute longer than they were supposed to work or six hours. The job was done when the job was done. And Mueller obviously felt the same way about Cece as Harlow did. She watched the pair stop at the field kitchen to snag some leftovers before heading back to Europeville. Harlow could have gotten up and left. She had no desire to even look at that bitch. But in the end, she stayed put. This was her yurt too, and she'd be damned if she let a mouth breather like Cece intimidate her. Cece and Ben parted ways with a fist bump at the main fire ring, and Harlow waited until Cece had almost reached the yurt before lighting a cigarette and blowing it in her direction. You're not getting paid to bone Ben on the job. Cece paused. A flicker of anger flashed across her face, leaving as fast as it came. Bum a smoke? Harlow took a drag, held Cece's gaze, and flicked the cigarette away, half-finished. Fine, Cece said. She pushed through the entrance and disappeared inside. When she was sure Cece wasn't coming out, Harlow took another cigarette out of the pack in her breast pocket and lit it. God, she hated girls like that. Overconfident, full of ego. If she had ever gone to therapy, her therapist would have explained why. Girls like Cece reminded her of the way she used to be. And if there was something Harlow tried to forget, it was any reminder of the person she used to be. When had it all gone wrong for her? She grew up in a nice family, firmly upper middle class. She went to summer camps when she was a kid, did swim team in the summer. School was a breeze. Getting straight A's was as natural to her as breathing. But when she was 16, she met Otis, Otis Bailey. Harlow didn't have the words or the wisdom to explain what happened to her after she met Otis. But if she did, she'd realize that her downfall came as a result of the two things that had plagued adolescents since the dawn of humanity. Horniness and bad boys. Otis introduced her to a lot of things. Sex and alcohol first, then weed, then coke. More was soon to follow. She barely scraped by her junior year. An objective observer could describe her senior year as ridiculous, not to mention cut short by a drinking problem, that metastasized into a pain pill problem that culminated in a near-fatal fentanyl overdose a week before Christmas. The first time she finished rehab, her mother and father picked her up from the center, tearful and happy. They took her out to brunch, asked her about what she was going to do now that she was clean. But she soon found out that rehab helped only when she was in rehab. She relapsed, 
went back to rehab, embarked on a short-lived career as a phone jockey at Geico, followed by a second relapse, a third stint in rehab, and the endless cycle was well underway. Upon her fourth discharge, she walked out of the front door, lit a cigarette, and scanned the parking lot. Rita, one of her counselors, strolled up to her car. When she spotted Harlow standing in the entrance, she picked up her pace, jamming her thumb on her key fob so many times that her car chirped and blinked like it was having a seizure. Harlow watched, bemused, as the old bat's shoe got wedged in the door as she practically threw herself into her calico Corolla, blew a cloud of smoke out of the side of her mouth as the car squealed away. Twenty minutes later, the lot remained empty, and Harlow had to borrow the intake nurse's phone to order an Uber home. Her mother didn't say a word when she walked in. Her father wouldn't even come out of the basement. They kicked her out a month later. Cue the cliché. Homelessness, prostitution, a string of arrests. One night, she found herself drinking shitty coffee in a shitty diner just outside of town. There were only a few people in the dining room, an old woman muttering to herself at a table by the door, a dyke and flannel in a booth in the back, and a creep in a hoodie sitting at the counter. At least a stupid server finally left her alone, but only after demanding she prepay for her coffee, the slag. She was trying to decide whether she was going to rob the creep at the counter, or ask him if he needed a date, or both, when the woman from the back appeared at her elbow. Can I help you? She remembered saying, and the next thing she knew, she was on Lilith's farm, dealing with a shitty job, shitty people, and even shittier bosses. But at least she was off drugs. She took a drag off her cigarette and shifted her butt on the apple box. Apple boxes made for shitty furniture, cots made for shitty beds, tents made for shitty houses. Fuck. Get out of your head, Harlow. She pulled her wallet out of her back pocket and flipped it open. She kept a photo of herself in the front plastic display. She was 12 years old, kneeling in the grass in her soccer uniform, smiling and pigtailed. She turned to the next one, eight years old, a camping trip with her dad. She was sitting in front of a fire, eating a roasted marshmallow. The last picture was of when she was a baby. Her mother held her on her lap, feeding her a bottle. When it got too dark to see, she put the wallet back in her pocket and took another drag off her cigarette. Over by the main house, Warner's truck pulled up to the basement door, and Warner and Mueller got out. They jawed a little, said their farewells, and then Mueller hopped in the driver's side, slammed the door, and drove away, heading for the hoop house. Warner watched the only working taillight recede into the evening, his hands on his hips. Then he ambled away, heading for the boss's quarters. Decisions, decisions. If Harlow could have gone back in time, she would have gone back to her 16-year-old self, grabbed her by the shoulders, and shook all the hormones out of her. There are plenty of boys out there, she would have said. Pick a better one to ride. In that imaginary scenario, the rest of her life unfolded like a beautiful flower. Finishing 11th grade with a 4.0, a senior year internship with a marketing company, winning the Jefferson Scholarship for a full ride at UVA, BA in business. This fall will be the start of her second year at the Darden School, an MBA two semesters away. Decisions, decisions. Laughter a few yurts over. It was the newbies, the Dilf and his skinny-ass daughter. Who the fuck brings a kid to work on a farm like this? She watched them for a while. The girl laughed at something her father said, and her father rubbed her head. Another drag, another thought, another cloud in the air. Harlow shifted her gaze back to the hoop house glowing in the distance. Brake lights flared as Mueller parked. Decisions, decisions. With a quick breath, she flicked her cigarette into the dirt at her feet, the red coal still burning, stood up, and aimed for the hoop house. Hey, 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 Mungwort, the sequel to MPK is out right now in ebook, paperback, 
hardcover and audiobook. I'm not going to read all of the places it's available online, but I'm sure wherever you are in the world as you listen to this, it is available. And if you still can't get it, go to silverhammer.studio and click on the contact me button and I'll see if I can get it out to you directly. Most likely I can. Can't wait to hear it? Don't want to go chapter by chapter? Pick up Mungwort today. And now, back to Mad Tales. Mueller squatted down in front of a barrel in the hoop house sub-basement and shook his head at the broken mung pump. God damn motherfucker, he said, like it would help. Damn things were always going down for one reason or another. Most of the time it was the mung itself. Mung was thick and goopy, inclined to clogging the tubes and mucking up the works. If there was a loose bolt or a crack in the pump housing, the stuff squirted out and corroded the switches. And if it leaked onto the motherboard, call it a day, fried the whole thing. There was no way to repair something like that, which meant they had to order a replacement, which took forever because the only supplier they could find was out of the country. Worse than that was when circumstances forced them to use subpar sources. Laszlo might call it a part of the process. Lilith might call it scientific method. Well, they could call it whatever they wanted to. Inferior sources made for chunky mung, filled with globs of derma and black impurities, and he was the one who had to clean it all up. At least they had a reliable prime at the moment made the mung smooth and creamy. He inspected the pump beneath him. The cracked housing exposed a nest of bent wires and twisted sockets. Someone had probably stepped on it, probably that idiot Laszlo, checking on his babies in the back. He tried to loosen the input nut, and the unit sparked, and he snatched his hand back with a hiss. Friggin' Laszlo, he thought. How's it possible for someone to be so smart and so dumb at the same time? In the end, it didn't matter who broke the damn thing. He still had to fix it. And fixing a mung pump meant disconnecting all the ingress and egress hoses, and doing that meant he had to ream them out, and cleaning them out exposed them to all the disgusting shit they stored in the barrels. It squirted out of the hoses, leaked out of the washers, got all over his clothes and hands. Once, a cracked washer gave way as he tightened the nut, and the mung sprayed him in the mouth and eyes. He barfed and dry heaved for an hour after. He was reaming out a connecting hose with a wire brush when he heard the pneumatic hiss of the hoop house door followed by footsteps on the boards overhead. He stopped and looked up, tracing the footsteps as they clomped from one side of the nursery to the other. Had to be Laszlo, checking on his babies. God damn it, Laszlo! Mueller yelled. How many times I gotta tell you this effective shit gums up the works? The footsteps paused. Mueller resumed his work. And why does Bomer keep on scrounging in the gutter for scraps? How hard is it for her to pick up some prime rib every now and then? Laszlo hurried over to the office the creak of the ladder as a little kook climbed down. Shoes crunched on gravel. Mueller pulled the brush out of the hose and twisted around to show the weird little fuck the red muck and knotted hair clotting the tines. You see what this shit did? Harlow stood in the middle of the basement, her eyes sparkling as she took in her surroundings. I knew you guys were into some weird shit, but this? This is like the X-Files. Mueller stood up so fast that he hit his head on a low-hanging support beam. Fuck! Watch yourself now, E.T. Rubbing his head, Mueller scowled and pointed the wire brush at the trap door. Get back up that ladder, now. What's in all those jars back there? Get out, girl. But I just got here. Ladder, now. Harlow leaned to the side to peek behind him, and he stepped in her way. What is all this stuff? she asked. Mueller threw the brush down and reached out to grab Harlow's arm. But Harlow wasn't some teenage girl. She dealt with plenty of guys like him, starting with good old Otis. She swatted his hand away and punched him in the face. 
And while he recovered from the shock of the blow, she stepped around, brought her knee up to her chest, and kicked him in the back as hard as she could. Mueller stumbled forward a few steps, catching himself before he hit his head on another beam. He whipped around, one hand rubbing his jaw, the other rubbing his back. Harlow was waving her finger at him. Taekwondo since I was 12, she said. Only made it to Red Belt, but it's still Red Belt. This is the last time I'm going to tell you. Get out. No, that's not how this works. Mueller started for her again, but Harlow shifted her stance, balled up one fist. Mueller considered it. He relaxed. Okay, I'll play. What do you want? Depends. I thought you guys were running drugs. Meth, actually. She pointed at Laszlo's jar room. But after what I saw in there? Oh, man. Mueller rolled his eyes. That shit's just Laszlo's sick little hobby. We ain't got nothing to do with it. You got a bridge you want to sell me to? Spit it out. I'm busy. Harlow softened her stance a speck. How long have I been working with you guys? You've been working for us about six months, and you're fucking it up right now. Oh, I don't have much to fuck up, do I? I'm just a worker. One in a long line, too. You and Warner, on the other hand. You know how many crews I've seen turn over? I don't keep track. Three. Three entire turnovers. Considering there's at least 20 hands on each crew, that's a lot of people coming and going. Mainly going. That does not bode well for your employee satisfaction surveys. Any other place would be struggling if that many people didn't want to work here. Good, I'll bring that up to the boss lady. Now, if you don't mind, I was just going to take whatever money you had and run. I know, I know. Robbing meth dealers doesn't sound like the greatest plan in the world, but I had a good one. Airtight. Mueller laughed despite himself. Oh, little girl, you have no idea how stupid that sounds. Harlow held his gaze for a moment, then backed up to the first barrel and inspected the lid, tapped on the side. Don't do that, Mueller said. What is this stuff? None of your business. Laszlo calls it the guts of the operation, doesn't he? She knelt and dabbed a finger in a puddle of mung, rubbed it between her thumb and forefinger, and smelled it. I think I got it now. Is that so? I know you're dumping bodies in the woods. I'm guessing that's where you took Jake. Probably Ico now, too. At first, I thought maybe they'd crossed you somehow, stole product, or shorted you a few bucks. But those two weren't the dealer types, and it didn't jibe with that yellow shit you're blowing through our vents. Mueller stood up a little straighter, his droopy eyes belying his shock. Oh shit, I was right? Listen, Harlow, I knew it! I've been sleeping with a filter mask on for a couple of weeks. Don't worry, I told everybody it was for sleep apnea. Mueller gathered himself, wagged a finger at her. Well, aren't you just a little Velma Dinkley? I want in. In? On what? Harlow gestured around her. Whatever you've got going on here. That's it? That's it. If I say yes, will you go away? Maybe. Mueller stared at her, thinking. Then he dropped his head and laughed a short little laugh. <laughs> Fine, Velma. Here's what I'm willing to do. I'll run it by Warner. If he's okay with it, we gotta run it by the boss lady. I wouldn't get your hopes up, but... I think I've got a way we can use you. Well, okay then. Harlow eyed the exit. I guess I'm just gonna... No, no, no. Stick around. You said you wanted in, so let me show you what this is all about. Harlow squinted, calculated. Mueller pressed on. That barrel you was mucking around in holds a refined product. What product? Can't tell you that. Not yet. He nodded to the area behind her. But them on the wall behind you is where the cool shit is. Back there? 
Just a bit. Harlow cocked her head to look, curious but uninterested in going any farther into the dark shadows of the basement. Mueller snuck a sly foot forward, his hand resting on his belt. It's just three barrels down. Go on. Harlow put out her hand as a warning. You stay back there. Okay. I'm serious, Mueller. Mueller put his hands up. Harlow took a few tentative steps in. The tanks anchored to the wall were dirty and patched with rust, but the pipes leading out of them and into the ground were pristine and shining. Even the inflow apparatus looked clean. Each tank had a spigot, and from each spigot, a hose ran along the floor and up into the barrels. Do they hook up to the sewer lines? Harlow asked. That's kind of how it works. We got our own dedicated system out here, though. Where's it come from? Main house. We pump the tea over here. Takes a couple of weeks for the solids to settle. That's what them tanks is for. Solid what? Hmm, this and that. Anything that ain't broke down by the composting process. So the composting starts at the main house? A whisper of a footstep, a quiet shush of sound, and Mueller was behind her. He plunged his knife into Harlow's neck before she could even scream. Her eyes went wide. Blood spurted out over his hand and splattered on the floor. Sometimes, he said. Thank you for tuning in to another episode of Mad Tales. Don't forget that Mungwort is out in ebook, paperback, hardcover, and audiobook. Listen to these awesome reviews of Mungwort. Joe Edwards says, Wow, this book kept my attention. You can really get into the characters. Noel really brings them and the scenery to life like you're really there and going through what these characters are going through and feeling. I love the way he writes. I almost felt like I was watching a movie, which would be a really good one. I love the ending. Well done, James Noel. Well done. Kevin R. Johnson states, Great believable characters, evil goons, badass female heroes, unexpected twists, gory sci-fi, awesome ending, loved it. My all-time favorite of Noel's books. Another Amazon reviewer states, Holy mackerel, this is the first book I've read by James Noel and it has me lost for words. Terrifying, exciting, twisted, and totally unique. It has very well-developed characters and is set in some sort of labor camp that's being attacked by the surrounding forest itself. And finally, Marie Isabel states, As a hiker, the plant-based creepies gave me the willies. That's all for now. Thank you for tuning into Mad Tales, and I will see you next week. survived another episode of Mad Tales.